Welcome to the Christmas episode. Hope you guys enjoy the Christmas special of Megan's Final Jagoff with Megan and Abby. And without further ado, let's get into it. Molly was dead to begin with. There's no doubt whatsoever about that. The register of his burial was signed by the clergyman, the clerk, the undertaker, and the chief mourner. Scrooge signed it, and Scrooge's name was considered good for any piece of business he chose to put his hand on. Two. <laughs> Molly was dead as a doormat. <laughs> doormat. <laughs> no, I don't know what there is particularly dead about a doornail. I wouldn't think a coffin nail would be dead a piece of iron, but far be it from me to change the expression or this country's done for. So permit me to repeat once again, empathetically, that Molly was dead as a doornail. Scrooge knew he was dead. Of course he did. How could he be otherwise? Scrooge and he had been partners for I don't know how many years. Scrooge was his sole executor, his sole administrator, his sole friend, and the only man who mourned him. If Scrooge can be said to have mourned at all. And the mention of Marley's funeral brings me back to the point I started with. There's no doubt that Marley was dead. This must be distinctly understood or nothing can come of the story I am about to relate. Nothing wonderful. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Scrooge never painted out old Marley's name. There it stood years afterwards above the warehouse door, Scrooge and Marley. The film was known as Scrooge and Marley. Marley. <laughs> you gotta let me get through this opening. I can't. <laughs> Sometimes people knew to the business called Scrooge, Scrooge, and sometimes Marley, but he answered to both names. It was all the same to him. It was bitterly cold and the fog was thick as pea soup on that Christmas Eve of 1843, when Scrooge sat busy in his counting house with his clerk nearby, trying to warm himself at a candle, but he since didn't have much of an imagination, he failed. Merry Christmas, Uncle! What? I said Merry Christmas, Uncle. God save you. Bah, humbug. Christmas a humbug, Uncle. Surely you don't mean that. Of course I mean it. Merry Christmas indeed. What reason have you to be merry? You're poor enough. Come, Uncle. What reason have you to be dismissal? Dismissal. <laughs> You're rich enough. <laughs> Away with Merry Christmas. What's Christmas to you but a time for paying bills without money? A time for finding yourself a year older and not an hour richer? If I could work my will, every idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips should be boiled with his own pudding and buried with a stake of holly through his heart. He should. Uncle. Nephew. <laughs> Christmas in your own way, and let me keep it in mine. Keep it? But you don't keep it. Let me leave it alone, then. A lot of good it has done you. Well, there are many things from which I have benefited, even if they didn't show a profit, I dare say. Christmas among the rest. But if anything belonging to Christmas can be considered apart from the sacred source of its name and origin, I'm sure I have always thought of Christmas as a good time, a kind, forgiving, charitable, pleasant time, the only time of year I know of when men and women seem to seem by one consent to open their shut-up hearts freely and think of others and as if there really were fellow passengers to the grave. 
And therefore, uncle, though it has never put a scrap of silver or gold in my pocket, I believe that it has done me good. And I will do me good. And will do me good. And I say God bless it. Another sound out of you, and you'll keep your Christmas by losing your position. Don't be angry, uncle. Come and dine with us tomorrow. I'll see myself in hell first. But why, uncle? Why? Why? Let me ask you a question. Why did you get married recently? Because I fell in love, of course. Love? You fell in love? Ha. Good afternoon, nephew. But you never came to see me before I married. Why give it as a reason for not coming now? Good afternoon. I want nothing from you. I ask nothing of you. Why can't we be friends? Good afternoon. <laughs> I am sorry to find you so resolu- resolute. Why can't I talk today? <laughs> We've never had a quarrel, you and I, but I came all this way to give you greetings for the season, and I'll keep my Christmas humor to the last. So a Merry Christmas, Uncle. Good afternoon. And a Happy New Year. Good afternoon. And a Merry Christmas to you, Bob Cratchit. Thank you, sir. A Merry Christmas to you. There's another fellow, my clerk, with 15 shilling a week and a wife and family talking about a Merry Christmas. I'll retire to Bedlam. <laughs> um, Scrooge and Marley's, I believe. Have I the pleasure of addressing Mr. Scrooge or Mr. Marley? Marley's dead. In fact, he died seven years ago this very night. Oh, I'm quite sorry to hear it. But I have no doubt his generosity is well representing, represented by his surviving partner. Scowl. <laughs> <laughs> At this festive season of the year, Mr. Scrooge, it is more than usual, usual desirable that we should make some light provision for the poor and needy, who suffer greatly at the present time. Many thousands are in want of basic needs. Hundreds of thousands are in want of common comforts, sir. Are there no prisons? Did they disappear? Oh, no, sir. There are plenty of prisons. And the workhouses for the poor? Still in operation, I assume. They are. Still, I wish I could say they were not. The treadmill and the poor law are in full vigor, then? Yes, very busy, sir. Oh, well, I was afraid from what you had said that something had stopped them in their useful course. I'm glad to hear it. Given that they scarcely furnish Christian cheer to the multitude, a few of us are trying to raise a fund to buy the poor some meat and drink and some means of warmth. We choose this time because it's a time above all others when want is keenly felt in abundance rejoices. What shall I put you down for? Nothing. <laughs> ah, you wish to be anonymous then? I wish to be left alone. I don't make merry myself at Christmas, and I can't afford to make idle people merry. I am taxed for the institutions I have mentioned, and they cost enough. Those who are badly off must go there. But many can't go there, and many would rather die. Oh, well, if they'd rather die, perhaps they should go ahead and do it and decrease the surplus population. Besides, I wouldn't know anything about it. Well, you could know it, sir. It's none of my business. I have too much of my own business to interfere with other people's. Mine occupies me constantly, and I'll thank you to leave me to it. Good afternoon, gentlemen. God rest ye merry gentlemen. (laughs) Get away from here. 
I'm seizing a ruler. I didn't ask to be bothered with that noise. You'll want all day tomorrow, I suppose. Cratchit, if it's quite convenient, sir. It's not convenient, and it's not fair. If I was to hold back half a crown for it, you'd think you were being abused, no doubt, and yet you don't think of me ill-used when I pay a day's wages for no work. It's only once a year, sir. Hmm. A poor excuse for picking a man's pocket every 25th of December, but I suppose you must have it. Be here all the earlier next morning. Oh, yes, sir, I shall. I certainly shall. Oh. Father! Hello. <laughs> Hello, my dear son. Father, I've been waiting for you. Let's go by Cornhill and watch the children play. Someday you'll be there too, playing with them. I feel that I'm getting stronger every day. And do you remember what tomorrow is? Christmas Day. And I am to have the whole day off to celebrate with my family. Hooray for Christmas! Okay, uh, just a little intermission to say I'm doing my normal voice for narrator. Alright, let's get into it. <laughs> oh, Scrooge, he was a tight-fisted hand at the grindstone he was. A squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner, to be sure. Secret, self-contained, and solitary as an oyster. He carried his own low temperature with him everywhere he went. He iced his office in the dog days and didn't thaw it one degree at Christmas. Scrooge always took his mel melancholy dinner in the same melancholy tavern, and this night was no different. He read all the papers and beguiled the rest of the night with his banker's book. Before he took himself home to bed, he lived in chambers which had once belonged to his deceased partner. They were a gloomy su suite of rooms. It was old and dreary, for nobody lived in it but Scrooge, the other rooms being all let out as offices. The fog and frost so hung about the black old gateway of the house that it seemed as if the genius of the weather sat in mournful meditation on the, thres the threshold. Threshold? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so embarrassing. <laughs> Upon arriving in his chamber, Scrooge took off his cravat. Put on his it's cravat. <laughs> no, it's cravat. I know. <laughs> Put on his dressing gown, slippers, and nightcap, and sat down before the fire to take his gruel, for he had a cold in his head. It was a very low fire indeed. Nothing on such a bitter night. He was obliged to sit close to it and brood over it before he could extract the least sensation of warmth from such a handful of fuel. Scene two, the bedroom. Should we do some light noises? Scrooge! Scrooge! Humbug, I won't believe it! How's this? What do you want with me? Much! Who are you? Ask me who I was. Alright, who were you then? <laughs> In life I was your partner, Jacob Marley. Is Scrooge gay? No. Okay. Business partner. Okay. Ha! I don't believe it. What evidence would I have of my reality beyond that of your senses? I don't know. Why do you doubt your senses? Because a little thing affects them. A slight disorder of the stomach makes them... makes them cheats. You might be an undigested bit of beef, a blot of mustard, a fragment of an underdone potato. 
There's more of gravy than of grave about you, whatever you are. Ah! Mercy! <laughs> Dreadful apparition. Apparition? Why do you trouble me? Man of the worldly mind, do you believe in me or not? I do, I must, but why have you come to me? It is required of every man that his spirit should walk abroad among his fellow men and travel far and wide. And if that spirit does not go forth in life, it is condemned to do so after death. And witness what it cannot share, but might have shared, and turn to happiness. Oh, woe is me. You are fettered. Tell me why. I wear the chain I forged in life. <laughs> Voice change a little bit. I made it link by link, yard by yard, and wore it off my free will. <laughs> is the pattern strange to you, or would you know the weight and length of the strong coil you bear yourself? It was a long and heavy as the seven Christmas eves ago you have labored on since. It's a ponderous chain. Jacob, old friend, please speak comfort to me. I have none to give. I have little time. <laughs> I cannot rest. I cannot linger anywhere. My spirit never walked beyond the narrow limits of our money-changing hole. Oh, not to know that any Christian spirit working kindly in this little sphere will find its mortal life too short for its vast means of usefulness. Not to know that a space of regret can make amends for one's life's opportunities missed. Yet such was I, oh, such was I. But you always were a good man of business, Jacob. Business? Humankind was my business. <laughs> The common welfare was my business. Charity, mercy, forbearance, and benevolence were all my business. The dealings of my trade were but a drop of water in the comprehensive ocean of my business. Oh, why did I walk through crowds of fellow beings with eyes turned down and never raise them to that blessed star which led the wise men to a poor abode? Were there no poor homes to which its light would have conducted me? Hear me. My time is nearly done. <laughs> what a physical beat. It is beat. <laughs> <laughs> I will, Jacob, but don't be hard on me. I am here to warn you. You have yet a chance of escaping my fate. A chance I have procured for you, Ebenezer. You always were a good friend. Thank ye. You will be visited by three spirits. Uh, is, is that... The chance you mention? It is. Oh, well, then I. I think I'd rather not. Without their visits, you cannot hope to shun the path I tread. Expect the first tomorrow when the bell tolls one. <laughs> Can they all come at once and have it over with, Jacob? Expect the second on the night at. the next night at the same hour. The third upon the next night, when the last stroke of twelve has ceased to vibrate. Look to see me no more, and for your sake, take care that you remember what has passed between us. Oh. Ah, ah, ah. <laughs> Scene three. Also the bedroom. And so Scrooge lay in his bed and thought, and thought, and thought it over, and could make nothing of it. The more he thought, the more perplexed he was. The more he endeavored not to think, the more he thought. Marley's spirit bothered him exceedingly. Every time he resolved within himself that it was a dream, his mind flew back again, like a strong spring released to its first position, and presented the same problem to be worked all through. Was it a dream, then? 
quarter past, half past, a quarter to it. Ha! The hour itself, and nothing else. Spirit of Christmas past. Yeah, I'm trying to think of a place. <laughs> Scrooge! <laughs> coming I was told about? I am. Who and what are you? I'm the spirit of Christmas past. Long past? No, your past. <laughs> Perhaps you could turn down the light that accompanies you. What? Would you so soon put out the light I give? Yours are the dark passions that would extinguish the light of truth. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to offend. What brings you here? Your welfare, of course. I can't think of anything more conductive than my welfare, than a night of uninterrupted sleep. Your reformation, then. Take heed. Rise and walk with me. Scene four. Outdoors. Good heaven! I was bred in this place. I was a boy here. Your lip is trembling. And what is that upon your cheek? What's what? Oh, nothing. It must be a pimple. Lead me where you would, spirit. Do you remember the way, Ebenezer? Remember it? I could walk it blindfolded. Strange that you've forgotten it for so many years. Why, that's David Masterson and Robert Estes. Hello. These are merely shadows of the things that have been seen. Or have... They are not aware of us. <laughs> well, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Say hello to your sister for me. Don't eat too much figgy pudding. Ha <laughs> ha. The school is quite deserted. A solitary child neglected by his friends is left there still. Poor boy. My mother died giving birth to my sister. My father grew morose and seemed to begrudge us both ever after. <laughs> I wish, but it's too late now. What is it? It's nothing. There was a boy singing a Christmas carol at my door last night. I should like to have given him something. That's all. Huh? Oh, that's oh, one of my fans. <laughs> no, no. Dear to your brother. Fan, little fan, you've grown. I have come to bring you home, dear brother. Home, little fan? Yes, home, for good and all. Father is much kinder than he used to be. He was in pleasant mood just the other night, so that I was not afraid to ask him once more if you might come home, and he said, yes, you should. And he sent me to bring you, Ebenezer. Father has arranged an apprenticeship for you. You're to be a man and begin your career. You'll never have to spend another moment in this dreadful school. But first, we'll be together all Christmas long and have the merriest time in the world. Your sister was a frail creature and often ill, but she had a, heart, a large heart. So she had. You're right about that, spirit. I'll not contradict it. God forbid. Come, Ebenezer. Pack your things. The carriage is just outside. Are you sure father is ready to have me home? Oh, yes. I'm sure of it. But where am I to be apprenticed? You will work for a wonderful man, Mr. Fezziwig, who keeps a warehouse. Now come, we mustn't keep the carriage waiting. Your sister died a young woman, but she did have a child, as I recall. Yes, a son, my nephew. His name is Fred Hollowell. Your nephew, Ebenezer, the only family you have left. Yes, that is true. Come along, Ebenezer. It's time to see another Christmas. Scene 5, Fezziwig's Establishment. 
Do you know this place? Know it? This is where I was apprenticed. Look, it's old Fezziwig. Bless his heart. Fezziwig, alive again. And there's Dick Willet. Wilkins. <laughs> we were the best of friends. Yo ho, Ebenezer. Dick, no more work tonight, my boys. It's Christmas Eve. Clear all the nonsense away, all of you. We must make room. Life is too short for all work and no play. I say it's time for a party. Hilly ho, Dick. Cheery up, Ebenezer. <laughs> the dance. <laughs> it's such a small thing to make these silly people feel so much gratitude and joy. Small thing? Is it not? After all, what did he do, this Fezziwig? Spent a few pounds on a party? Does he deserve such praise as this? It isn't that spirit. Why, Mr. Fezziwig has the power to make us happy or unhappy. He can make our work pleasant or miserable, just in the way he looks at us, and the way he addresses us. A thousand such little things add up, you know, until the happiness he gives is as great as if it cost a fortune, and... What is it? Nothing. Something, I think. No, no, it's... it's just that... I would like to be able to say a word or two to my clerk just now. That's all. Come, Ebenezer. My time grows short. Look. This was not addressed to Scrooge or to anyone who he could see, but it produced an immediate effect. For again, Scrooge saw himself. He was a little older now, a man in the prime of his life. His face had not the harsh and rigid lines of later years, but it had begun to wear the signs of care and avarice. There was an eager, greedy, restless motion in the eye, which showed the passion that had taken root, and where the shadow of the growing tree would fall. Scene six. Outdoors. I know it matters very little to you. Another idol has displaced me, and if I can make you happy as I would have tried to do, I have no reason to cry. What idol has displaced you? A golden one. Now, there's a double standard for you. All the world speaks so vehemently against poverty, yet it condemns the pursuit of wealth just as harshly. You fear the world too much, Ebenezer. All your other hopes have merged into one hope of eluding the disdain for others. I have seen your nobler virtues fall away one by one until nothing is left but one master passion, the pursuit of profit. It consumes you. What then? Even if I have grown wiser and more astute, I have changed my feeling towards you. I haven't changed my feelings towards you. Oh, Ebenezer, our promise to one another is an old one. We made it when we were young and poor and happy to remain so until we could improve our fortune together by patience and hard work. But you've changed. You are not the same man. (laughs) Tell me, Ebenezer, if all of this had not happened, would you seek me out and try to win me now? A poor dowerless girl with nothing to bring to a marriage? Just as I thought. You may feel sad now, Ebenezer, but I have no doubt that you will dismiss the thought of me very soon, as if you were glad to have awakened from a bad dream. May you be happy in the life you've chosen. Spirit, show me no more. Conduct me home. Why do you enjoy torturing me? There is one more shadow we must see. I don't wish to see it. Show me no more. I saw an old friend of yours this afternoon. Oh, who was it? Take a guess. (laughs) Why, surely you don't mean Ebenezer Scrooge. The very same. Past his office window. His partner, Jacob Marley, lies upon the point of death, I hear. And there he sat, old Scrooge, all alone. Quite alone in the world, I do believe. Miserable wretch. 
Spirit, remove me from this place. I told you, these are shadows of the things that have been. That they are what they are. Do not blame me. Please, I beg you, take me away from here. I can bear no more. No more. Scene seven. Back in the bedroom. After this mighty struggle, if that can be called a struggle, Scrooge was conscious of being exhausted and overcome by an irresistible drowsiness and further of being in his own bedroom once again. He barely had time to reel to bed before he sank into a heavy sleep. Scrooge! Ebenezer Scrooge! Come, come here and know me better, man. I'm the spirit of Christmas present. You have never seen the likes of me before, eh? Ha ha ha. No, never. <laughs> You've never walked with any of my elder brothers born in these later years? No, I don't think I have. Have you had my brother's spirit? Ha ha, more than 1800, ha ha ha. A tremendous family to provide for. Take hold of my robe, Ebenezer Scrooge. Where? Pray tell, are we going? You will see. Scene 8. Cratchit home. Is there a peculiar flavor in what you sprinkle from your torch? (laughs) There is indeed. My own. (laughs) Would it apply to any kind kind of dinner on this day? To any kindly given? To a poor one most? Why to a poor one most? Because it needs it most. Spirit. Just lost my accent. <laughs> Spirit, why do you, of all the things in the world about us, desire to cramp these people's opportunities of innocent enjoyment? I? Well, you would deprive them of their means of dining every seventh day when markets are closed. Often the only day of which they can be said to dine at all, wouldn't you? I? You seek to close these places on the seventh day, and it comes to the same thing. I seek? Forgive me if I am wrong. It has been done in your name, or at least in that of your family. There are some upon this earth of yours who claim to know us. Who are you? I don't know. Who <laughs> do their deeds as passion, pride, ill will, hatred, envy, bigotry, and selfishness in our name who are as strange to us in all of our kith and kin as if they had never lived. Remember that. In charge, they're doing on themselves, not us. What has ever got your precious father, then? And your brother, Tiny Tim? And Martha wasn't this late last year, by half an hour. Here I am, mother. Oh, Martha, how late you are. We had a great deal of work to finish at the Miller's last night, and a great deal to clear away this morning. Well, never mind. You're home now. Sit down and warm yourself, dear. Father will be home any minute. Hide, Martha, hide. But where's Martha? She won't be coming home for Christmas this year, I'm afraid. What? Not coming home for Christmas? Oh, here I am, Father. Come, Tim. Come here. The pudding singing in the copper. <laughs> and did little Tiny Tim behave himself in church? He did, and good as gold and better. 
Somehow he gets thoughtful sitting by himself so much and thinks the strangest things you've ever heard. He told me coming home that he hoped that people saw him in church because he was sick and it might be pleasant for them to remember on Christmas Day who made lame beggars walk in blind men see. But he's growing stronger every day. I just know it. Martha, help me with the goose. There's such a goose, father. Such as we've never had before. Such a goose. Just smell the sage and onion. Mother could outdid herself this year. We got it at a good price, father. It, was, it wasn't expensive at all. <laughs> a, Merry Christ, a, a Merry Christmas to all of my dears. God bless us. God bless us. I had no idea Cratchit had a sick son. I wonder why. Tell me, spirit, will the boy live? I see a vacant seat at the table and a crutch without an owner. Carefully preserved. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, the child will die. No, no. That cannot be. Say he will be spared. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, none other of my race will find him here. But what difference does it make if he is likely to die? Then let him die and decrease the surplus population. You use my own words against me. Yes, so that it is the future, perhaps, you will hold your tongue until you've discovered what surplus population is and where it is. Who are you to decide who shall live and who shall die? It may be that, in the sight of heaven, you are more worthless and less fit to live than millions like this poor man's child. And now, dear one, a toast. I give you Mr. Scrooge, the founder of our feast. Hmm. Founder of our feast, indeed. I wish I had him here. I'd give him a piece of my mind to feast upon. I hope he, he'd have a good appetite for it. My dear, the children, Christmas Day. It should be Christmas Day, when no one would drink the health of such an odious, stingy, hard, unfeeling man such as Ebenezer Scrooge. No one knows it better than you, Bob. My dear, you have a little charity. <laughs> oh, all right. Then I'll drink his health for your sake and day's sake, but not for his. Long live to him a very merry Christmas and a happy new year. No doubt he'll be very merry indeed and very happy. To Mr. Scrooge. To Mr. Scrooge. To Mr. Scrooge. I think it's time for a song. A Christmas carol. What shall we sing? Intermission. Should we, should we like do an intermission? Perhaps a choral medley of Alfred Burke Carols for the last five minutes. I'm really sorry that I can't keep all my voices straight. <laughs> you are my wonder woman. This podcast is sponsored by nobody because you guys stopped giving us money. Anyways, act two. Act two. <laughs> Scene one. Hollowell Home. He said that Christmas was a humbug. He believed it too. More shame for him, Fred. He's really a comical old fellow and not so pleasant as he might be. (laughs) However, his offenses carry his... What? You're going in and out of British and not. 
That's really funny. Sorry. His offenses carry their own punishment, and I have nothing to say against him. I'm sure he's very rich, Fred. At least you always tell me so. But his wealth is no use to him. He doesn't do any good with it. He doesn't make himself comfortable with it. And I sincerely doubt he would ever consider benefiting us with it. Ha ha ha. Well, I have no pity for him. Oh, but I have. Who suffers by his ill whims himself always? Here he takes it into his head to dislike us, and he won't come and dine with us. What's the consequence? He loses some pleasant moments, which could do him no harm. I mean to give him the same chance every year, whether he likes it or not. I think I might have cracked the old boy yesterday, if I do say so myself. <laughs> he's giving us plenty of merriment, I am sure, and it would be ungrateful not to drink to his health. Here's to Uncle Scrooge. Uncle, Uncle Scrooge! I would normally take offense as such tasteless banter and laughter at my expense. However, in view of general gaiety of the occasion, I am inclined to, I'm inclined to overlook it. That is quite noble of you. Forgive me, spirit. If I am not justified in asking, but I see something strange and not belonging to yourself protruding there from your skirts. Is it a foot or a claw? It might be a claw, for all flesh there is on it. Look here. Spirit, are they yours? No, they are yours. Do you not know them? The boy is ignorance and the girl is want. Beware them both in all of their kind. But most of all, beware this boy, for on his brow I see written the word doom. Unless the writing be erased, I dare ye to deny it. I dare ye to slander those who claim otherwise and see where it leads. Have they no refuge or resource? Are there no prisons? Are there no workhouses? Scene two. It's my thunder. The darkness. I take it that I am in the presence of the spirit of Christmas yet to come. You are about to show me shadows of the things that have not happened, but will happen in the time before us. Is that not so, spirit? Spirit. I fear you more than any specter I have seen. Will you not speak to me? Very well. Lead on, then. The night is passing fast, and it is precious time to me. Lead on, spirit. Why, I know those men. And this place. It is the stock exchange. It's a second home to me. No, I don't know anything about it either way. I only know he's dead. When did he die? Last night, I believe. Why, what was the matter with him? I thought he'd never die. God knows. What has he done with his money? I haven't heard. Left of his company, perhaps. I only know he hasn't left it to me. <laughs> there was like five people talking. Well, it's likely to be a cheap funeral. I don't know anybody who would go to it. Suppose we make a party and volunteer. I don't mind going to lunch if it's provided, but it must be fed for all the troubles it's worth. <laughs> well, it matters little to me either way. I never wear black gloves. I never eat lunch, but I'll offer to go if anyone else will. Well, off to business. Goodbye. 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 Have these men no sense of decency or decorum? Spirit, what is this? Why am I seeing this? I was here first. Mrs. Dilber shall be after me, and then the undertaker's men can be third. Isn't this something, Joe? All of us met here without meaning it. You couldn't mention a better... <laughs> 
You couldn't have met in a better place. Come and sit. Don't be shy. We're y'all suitable to our calling. Well, we're matched, to be sure. Aha, uh-huh. come in. Old Joe is a witch. <laughs> what odds, then? What odds, Mrs. Dilbert? Every person has a right to take care of himself. He always did. Wait, wait, that's... T- I'll, I'll do it, I'll do it. Okay. <laughs> that's true, indeed. No man more so. Well, well, then. Don't stand staring as if you was afraid, woman. Who's the wiser? We're not going to pick holes in each other's coats, I suppose. No, indeed. We should hope not. Very well. (laughs) Who's the worst for the loss of a few things like this? Not a dead man, I suppose. No, indeed. If he wanted to keep him after he was dead and wicked old screw, why wasn't he more natural in his lifetime? If he had been, he have somebody to look after him when he was struck with death instead of lying grasping at last there all alone by himself it is the truest word that has ever spoke mrs oliver it is a judgment on him i wish it was a little heavier one and it should have been and you can count on it if i could have laid my hands on anything else now upon the bundle old joe and let me know if its value to ye speak out plain I'm not afraid to be the first, nor afraid to them to see it. We knew pretty well that we were helping ourselves before we met here. I believe it's no sin to see to one's livelihood. (laughs) Ah, Mr. Tackleman. Let's see a seal, a pencil case, a pair of sleeve buttons. Him. I'll give you one pound eight and another sixpence. If I was to be foiled for not doing it, who's next? <laughs> oh, quite stashed, Mrs. Dober. Of course. I always give it too much to the lady. <laughs> it's a weakness of mine, and that way I ruin myself. Oh, three pounds even, Mrs. Dober. If you asked me for another penny and made it an open question, I'd repent. Why was the first? <laughs> oh, and what do you call this bed curtains? <laughs> oh, bed curtains, aha. You didn't mean it. You took it. Rings and all, with him lying here. And why not? He was up to kitchen. Without him, I dare say. I hope he didn't die of anything catching, eh? Don't be afraid of that. I wasn't so fond of his company that I'd loiter about if he did say. Ha ha ha. Oh, you may have looked through the shirt till your eyes ache, but you won't find a hole in it. No thread there. It's the best pet, the best he had, and a fine one too. They'd have wasted it if it hadn't been for me. And what do you call wasting it? Why, putting it in on him to be buried in, to be sure. Four pounds, six shillings and two pence. And not a penny more if I was to be boiled for it. And this is how it ends. He scared everyone away from him when he was alive to profit us when he was dead. Ha ha ha!
spirit, this is a fearful place. Surely there can be no reason to bring me to this godforsaken part of the city, except that the case of this unhappy man might be my own. Yes, the items they have stolen are similar to mine. I see the point. But surely there is someone who feels some emotion caused by this man's death. Show that person to me, I beg you. Oh, finally, you've come home, Thomas. What have you heard? Is it good or bad? It's bad, I'm afraid. Oh, we ruined, Thomas. Did he deny you the extra time you asked for? Has he evicted us? No, there's no hope yet, Caroline. There is hope yet. There is hope yet, Caroline. <laughs> Only if he re- repents, that old miser. Nothing is the past. Nothing is past hope if such a miracle has happened. He is past repenting us. Dear, he is dead. Dead? Oh, God, be praised. Oh, Lord, forgive me. I thought he was merely trying to avoid me. But what I had been told is quite true. Not only was he very ill, but he was dying, even then. To whom will our debt be transferred? I don't know, but before that time we will be ready with the money. And even if we weren't, it wouldn't be a bad fortune indeed to find a creditor who was as merciless as he. We may sleep tonight with light hearts, Caroline. Spirit. I ask to see some emotion connected with this man's death, and you show me only pleasure. I demand to be shown some tenderness connected with a death. Scene three, Cratchit home. And he took a child and set him in the midst of them, and he said to them, whenever you are welcome a little child, you welcome me. This color hurts my eyes there better now. The candlelight makes them weak, and I wouldn't show my weak eyes to your father when he comes home. Not for the world. It must be near his time. Pass it, rather. But I think he's walked a little slower than he used to these few evenings, Mother. Yes, I've known him to walk with him. I've known him to walk with. I have known him to walk with Tiny Tim upon his shoulder, very fast indeed. And so have I. And so have I. (laughs) And so (laughs) So have I. I. But he was very light to carry, and his father loved him so, that it was no trouble, no trouble at all. Is that your father now? I went by there today. Is why I'm late. I wish you could have been there. It would have done you good to see how green it is, but you'll see it often. I promised him that I would walk by there every Sunday to visit him, you see. But guess whom I saw today? Fred Howell, Mr. Scrooge's nephew. I met him on the street. He saw that I was a little down, and while he is the most pleasant-speaking man you have ever heard and so i was not afraid to tell him and this is what he said to me i'm heartily sorry mr cratchit heartily sorry and he pledged to be any service he could to us he even gave me his card and said i should call him on i should call on him at home but it's not for the sake of anything he might be able to do for us so much as for his kind way that i am thankful it really seems as if he had known our tiny tim and felt with us and i've got good news for you peter what is it, father? Mr. Hollowell told me that he has been able to secure an apprenticeship for you. You're beginning at eight shillings a week, starting next Tuesday. Eight shillings a week? Soon you'll be keeping company with a young lady, Peter, and setting up house for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> that will happen soon enough, but however and whenever you have parted from one another, I'm sure none of us will ever forget poor Tiny Tim, shall we? No, never, never, father.
and I know as well as my dears that when we remember how patient and mild he was, although he was little, little child, we shall not call among ourselves and forget our little tiny Tim is doing it. <laughs> no, we won't, mother, never. Scene four, graveyard. Spirit, something tells me that the moment of our parting is at hand. I know it, but I don't know how. Tell me, the man who has spoken of the, of the one who died, tell me who he was. Before I draw near to that stone to which you point, answer me one question. Are these the shadows of the things that will be, or are they the shadows of things that may be only? The course of a man's life is preserved in... If preserved in, will determine certain ends. I accept it. But if he departs from those courses, the ends must change. Say it with you what you show me. No, no, it can't be. Am I that man? Am I the man who died whom none mourn? Say it isn't so. Spirit, say it isn't so. Spirit, hear me. I am not the man I was. (laughs) I will be the man I must have been, but for your intervention. Why show me this if I am past all hope? Surely your nature intercedes me, intercedes for me and pities me. Assure me that I may yet change these shadows you have shown me by a changed life. I will honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year. I will remember the lessons of the past. I will live in the present. I will live towards the future. The spirits of all three will strive within me. I will not shut out the lessons that they teach. Oh, tell me that I may sponge away the writing on this stone. Scene five. The bedroom, yet again. What? Where am I? Wait, what day is it? It's morning, but what day? How long have I been with the spirits? I don't know. But I'm alive. I'm alive. They are still here. They're not torn down. They are here. I am here. Woohoo! I don't know what to do. <laughs> I feel light as a feather. I'm happy as an angel. I'm merry as a schoolboy. <laughs> Hello, you boy. What day is it? Wait, don't be afraid, my boy. What day is it? What day is it? <laughs> what day is it today? Why, it's Christmas Day. Christmas Day. Are you quite sure, my good fellow? I should say I am. Then the spirits have done it all in one night. Why, of course, they can do anything they like. Of course they can. Ha <laughs> ha, hello, my fine fellow. Hello. Do you know the poulterers in the next street but one at the corner? I should hope I did. What a wonderful boy. A remarkable boy. Do you know where they've sold the prize turkey that was hanging up there? What? The one as big as me. What a delightful boy. A pleasure <laughs> talking with him. <laughs> yes, my boy. The one as big as you. It's hanging there now. It is? Why, then you must go and buy it. Yes, go and buy it now. Police? Oh, no, 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 no. I really do mean it. Go and buy it and tell them to bring it round so that I can give them directions where to deliver it. Come back with the man and I'll give you a shilling. Come back with him in less than five minutes and I'll give you half a crown. Ha, ha, ha. I'll send it to Bob Cratchits. He won't know who sent it. I won't tell him. <laughs> it's twice the size of Tiny Tim. Oh, Tiny Tim. Tiny Tim will live. 
on on my soul, Tiny Tim will live. They did it all in one night. The spirits of Christmas, past, present, and future, shall, shall strive within me. Oh, heaven and Christmas time be praised for this. I say it on my knees, dear Lord, on my knees. A Merry Christmas to everybody. A Happy New Year to all the world. <laughs> Scene six. Outdoors. Hello. Ah, there's the turkey. <laughs> How are you, my boy? I was right. Haha, <laughs> this turkey is twice the size of Tiny Tim. It's twice the size of you, my lad. Merry Christmas, my fine fellow. Merry... Wait. Merry Christmas, sir. Why, it's impossible to carry that to Camden Town. You must have a cab, sir. Camden Town, sir? Yes. This splendid turkey is to be delivered immediately to the home of Bob Cratchit and his family in Camden Town. Here, I've written the directions down, and here is the money for the turkey. Thank you, sir. And here is the money for the delivery. Thank you, sir. And here is a tip for you, sir. Thank you, sir. And here is half a crown for you, my boy. Well deserved. Yes, well deserved. Thank you, sir. And a Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. (laughs) My dear sir, how do you do? I hope you did well yesterday. It was a very good thing to do. A very good thing. Mr. Scrooge? Yes, that is my name. I fear it isn't pleasant to you. Allow me to ask your forgiveness. And yours too, sir. Yes, sir. And will you have the goodness? Lord, bless me, my dear Mr. Scrooge. Are you quite serious? If you please. Nothing a farthing less. A great many back payments are included in it. I assure you. Will you do me that favor? My dear sir, I don't know what to say to such generous... Don't say anything, please. (laughs) Come and see me sometime. Will you come and see me, both of you? We will, we will. Thank you. (laughs) Much obliged to you. I thank you 50 times. Bless you both, and a Merry Christmas. Scene 7. Hollowell Home. Would you believe it if I told you that Scrooge went to church that day? He did, and walked about the streets, and watched the people hurrying to and fro, and patted children on the head as they passed, and questioned beggars, and looked down into the kitchens of houses, and up to the windows, and found that everything could yield him pleasure. He could never have dreamed that any walk, that anything at all, could give him so much happiness. In the afternoon, he turned his steps toward his nephew's house. I'm afraid it's beautiful, and it's too much. You shouldn't have spent so much. But I love you, my dear, and my wife shall have the best on Christmas Day. Oh, Fred, I love you, but just not for this. (laughs) Oh, but not just for this. (laughs) I know, dear, I know. Now, who can that be? I don't know. No one's expected at this hour. Hello, Fred. Uncle Scrooge? The very same. It is I, your Uncle Scrooge. I recall an invitation you made to me yesterday. To come and dine with you? If that invitation is still in force, I should like to accept. Why... I don't know what to say. Well, you could say bah humbug, a retort I heartedly repent and shall never use again. Or you could say, come in. Come in? Why, of course. Of course you shall come in. Hooray, Uncle Scrooge, you've made us both very happy. Oh, may I introduce my wife, Janet? Janet, my Uncle Scrooge. My dear, it is plain to to me now why my nephew chose you among women. You were indeed every bit as lovely as I have heard. Why, thank you. Uncle Scrooge, we are very happy to have you here. I'm sorry for the things I said about Christmas, and sorry for the poor reception I gave you yesterday, of which you were so undeserving. I see the image of my sister in your face. I loved her, you know. And she you. I know it, Uncle Scrooge. She loved you very much, and wished until her dying day that you would, should always be close. 
And so we are, Fred. And so we shall be. And so we shall be. Scene eight. The Counting House. What is this? Morning, sir. Mr. Cratchit, you are late, sir. Yes, sir. What do you mean by coming here at this time of day? I'm very sorry, sir. I'm behind my time. Step this away, if you please, Cratchit. It's only once a year. It shall be repeated. Shall not Not be repeated. (laughs) I was making rather merry yesterday with my family. Now, I'll tell you what, my friend. I'm not going to stand for this any longer. And therefore... And therefore... And therefore, I am going to double your salary. (laughs) Yes, Bob Cratchit, I am going to double your salary, sir. A Merry Christmas to you. A a merrier Christmas that I have given you for many a year. And from now, I will endeavor to assist your family in any way I can. And as for Tiny Tim, he will walk again. I know it. (laughs) Now you don't need to say a thing. Come with me. We will discuss the particulars over a bowl of smoking bishop before you so much as dot another I, Bob Cratchit. Scrooge was better than his word. He did it all, and infinitely more. And to Tiny Tim, who did not die, he was a second father. He became a good friend, as good a master, and as good as man, as good as the good city, as the good old city knew. And ever afterward, it was always said of Ebenezer Scrooge that he knew how to keep Christmas and keep it well, if any man alive possessed the knowledge. May that be truly said of us, and all of us. And so as Tiny Tim observed... God bless everyone. <laughs> um, thank you all for joining us on our Christmas holiday special. We that was um, the Christmas Carol um, performed by Abby and Megan. Yeah, Abby as Scrooge, um, Peter, Peter Belinda, Belinda, Mrs. Oliver, or something, and Megan as every other character. Yeah, we wanted to do it kind of Muppet style. Um, I am Muppets. I'm the man. She is the Muppet. I'm really, guys. I don't know what happened there with some of those accents. None of it was planned out beforehand. She, I, I just notice how she slips in and out of British. I slip in and out of British. I, I love it. No, there's no cohesion. Scrooge was real excited at the end there. I love it. He got that real, was really happy. Good. Um, I hope everyone's having a magical Christmas. Um, and a happy new year. And a happy new year. We will see you again for our New Year's pod. And I hope you like this little Christmas surprise. Bye. Bye, everyone.